Let me start today by telling you about last Wednesday night. We're doing in, in, summer, in the um, summers, we do different programs Wednesday nights. And this year, we're doing some different stuff. We started off with talking about for kids. Um, we did different different. Um, Camps, we're calling them. They're not going camping, but they're different things. We start off with two weeks about science. Had a couple of our gals in our church who are school teachers did this, knock the ball out of the park, did a thing for science. The kids were just raving about how much they loved it. Well, then the next four weeks that we're in right now, we're doing two different things for the grade school kids. One is discovering sewing, and Tommy Fay is heading that up, and it's been great, and I can't believe what they're accomplishing. And uh, they were, we were talking about a staff meeting, what they're doing, how great it is. And then the other one I'm leading, and it's called Discovering Fishing. And, of course, we're talking about fishing, and we're having a great time. We're learning a lot, but in the heart of it, remember, it's not really about fishing. We are talking about fishing, but it's about Jesus. And so if in room five down at the end of the hall, if you look in there right now, I've got a boat in there. And in that boat, every week, I teach a lesson, a Bible story, that, for the, that Jesus taught from sitting in a boat. There's all kinds of stories. You might realize that. Look in your Bible. Jesus often taught from a boat. He did it to get away from the crowd so they could hear him, and he'd sit in a boat, and they'd push him out, and he'd teach. So every week, we're telling a story that Jesus told from in a boat. And that's our Bible lessons. Well, last week I did something a little different. I had them act out a story from in a boat. And I had them act out the story of, of Jesus calming the storm. And so different one kid was Jesus and some were disciples. And Jesus had to lay down in the boat. And all the rest were the wind and the storm. And ask a bunch of grade schoolers to be a storm. You know, it doesn't take a lot of prompting. They're beating on the boat, doing all this stuff. They're shaking the boat. I'm like, okay, don't hurt anybody. You know, and Hannah, Hannah was Jesus. Um, and uh, it was great. And so when I'd read the story, and then I'd say, and Jesus said, and I'd say it, and Jesus would have to stand up and say it. And the disciples said, and the storm did, and we're acting out the story. And at the end, of course, you know that Jesus speaks to the storm and says, peace be still. And the storm's quieted down. Well, I hope the kids on Wednesday night had a good time. I, I think they did. I hope that they saw Jesus more accurately and more clearly because we asked the questions at the end it's a couple questions two questions for him and one was the people in the story said who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him and and that was great they could answer the questions and who is this man why could he do it because he was the son of god and we we talked about that but there was something else i hope that they got that they got on wednesday night and, and i didn't say it but i hope they've been beginning to assimilate it that they could see it from the scriptures and it's beginning to to work into their heart and it was this I hope that they also saw that that story was a story about Jesus' authority. You see, Jesus calmed the storm because he has the authority to do so. As the creator and sustainer of all creation, he has authority to do whatever he wants. So he, he speaks to a storm and it's stilled. And he curses a fig tree at another time in scripture and it withers. And he blesses water and it becomes wine. See, he expresses the fact that he has all authority. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says about himself in Matthew 28, or 28, 18. We always think of 28, 19, the Great Commission, but 28, 18 is the foundation for the Great Commission. And Jesus says this about himself. He's, he's speaking about himself, and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And friends, as we come to this next section in our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, we come to a section that is designed by the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus' authority. 
And we're going to see the people around him that they're amazed by him because he comes to them differently. He comes commanding authority in a way that they had never seen before. That no one had ever seen such authority demonstrated because never before had God himself stood among men and revealed himself to mankind. And in the Gospel of Mark, what we're seeing right now is that's exactly what Jesus is doing. That he's revealing God to man. And in that revelation, the people recognized his unique and his ultimate authority. Now understand something as we talk about this today. That this revelation of his authority had tremendous implications for them. And the revelation of his authority has tremendous implications for you and me. You see, when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we understand his position of ultimate authority, it changes everything. It affects everything about our lives. Suddenly, what Jesus says isn't just some man's opinion to be debated. It's not that anymore. That it's, it's his word from God given to us to be completely obeyed because it's a word from the ultimate authority in all the world. Well, let's grab our Bibles and look at the Gospel of Mark together. Mark chapter 1. And let's see how Jesus, is a, His authority is revealed. And I think you're going to see something that maybe you didn't. It's why we take time to look at a whole book. Because oftentimes you, you, miss, you, don't, you, you miss the fact that there's a process going on. There's a revelation going on that God's trying to make a point when you, when you have to see the macro. And so we're seeing the big picture, the macro here today as we look in the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark chapter 1. We're going to start off reading in verse 14 and read to verse 28, and then we're going to slip into chapter 2 for just a few verses. So chapter 1 of Mark, starting in verse 14, says this. It says, Now after John had been taken into custody, that's who's John here? John the Baptist, we looked at him. After John has been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And as he was going along by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went away to follow him. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. In other words, he's demon-possessed. Verse 24, saying, the demon-possessed man, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. 
Now just flip your page into chapter 2. And we're going to come at the very end of a story. The end of the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man that was dropped through the roof. Remember the story of that? There's these four friends of, of this guy who's paralyzed. They have him on a, on a stretcher, basically a pallet. And they want to get to Jesus, but they can't because he's in the house and the crowd is too big and they can't get him through. So what do they do? These guys want to get to him. So they crawl on the roof, they rip open the roof, and they lower the guy down into Jesus so that Jesus can touch him. And we pick up this story right then in, in chapter 2, verse 7. And it says, why does this man speak that, that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Remember what's happening is he says to the man in a pallet, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people who are there saying, who is this guy? Verse 7, why does this man, Jesus, speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he then got up immediately, picked up his pallet, and went out of the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What we see in this section of Mark, the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, what we see here is Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, giving us snapshots of Jesus acting according to the authority that he possesses as God himself, as the Son of God. He gives us little glimpses, little snapshots into the way he lived and interacted with the people around him in ways that revealed his authority. The first snapshot we see is a snapshot of his teaching. And what did they say about his teaching? He said, he doesn't teach like the other teachers of his time. The other teachers quoted different rabbis. Well, Rabbi Hillel says this, and Rabbi Gamaliel says that. You know, so-and-so says this. And, and the rabbis stood around and they gave their opinion saying, well, I think this means that. And they says he didn't teach like that. No, he taught with authority because he taught as the author himself of God's Word. He says crazy things in the Gospels. He says things like, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He comes on the scene, and when he teaches, he teaches different. The rabbis have been saying things like this, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And they've been doing that saying, we're trying to interpret the law. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, you've heard it like this, but I'm telling you, this is what it really means. And he reinterprets the law. He says, I really, this is what he's really saying. He says, I know what it really means. And the reason I really know what it means is because I'm the author. See, Jesus teaches different. He teaches with authority. He didn't need to quote some rabbi to give him a sense of, of, of validation. He didn't need to speak from the position of opinion, thinking, I think. No, he simply speaks truth. Because he speaks of himself. And he teaches with authority. And it says the people heard it and were amazed. But then Mark says, okay, I want you to really get the idea of his authority. So he takes another snapshot of Jesus interacting. He takes another a snapshot and he, and he shows us a snapshot. And the second snapshot is of one day he was teaching and he encounters a, a demon-possessed man. 
And we see in the story that, that Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching and this man full of, of a demon begins to shout out and basically shout him down and say, Who are you? Why are you here? I know who you are. Why are you messing with me? And he begins to have this argument with Jesus. And what happens? doesn't say Jesus gets angry. doesn't say he gets loud. doesn't say he fights. It simply says, he basically says this, Be quiet and come out of him. And what happened? The demon had no choice but to leave. Because Jesus has the authority to send it packing. Now it's one thing to get a group of people to follow you like Jesus had. You know, and say, wow, what a great teacher. We have humans have that happen. But friends, it's quite another thing to have a demon-possessed man shout you down and you just say, be quiet, come out of him. And the demon flees. The people around him are beginning to see his authority. That's why it says, it's repeatedly says, they were amazed. They kept reasoning and rationing and arguing. Who is this guy? Even demons listen to this guy. What kind of authority does he have? And then Mark takes another snapshot. And he wants to show us another expression of it. And so he shows how he reveal, how Jesus reveals his authority in another way on another day. And he tells a story about that we just kind of rehearsed a few minutes ago about these men who brought their friend to Jesus and he was in this room and they couldn't get to him because of the crowd and so they rip a hole in the roof and they lower him down and, and he says your sins are forgiven and the people don't believe them they said well who are you you're blaspheming in other words you're making yourself out to be God well guess what he could do that because he is and he says in order to prove that he has all authority even the authority to forgive sins he tells a paralyzed man get up take your pallet and walk out of here They couldn't get in the room, but I guarantee you after that man who was lame got up, picked up his pallet, that crowd parted like the the sea. And he walked out of that room under the authority of Christ. See, Jesus is God, and only he has the authority to forgive sins. Church, as we are on this journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, this is my hope. That we will really see what that crowd saw and be just as amazed and transformed as they were when they encountered him. You know, they hadn't experienced somebody like Jesus before. Literally the authority of God in a man walking among them. And I wonder, church, if we're honest with ourselves... If we really see him the way they saw him, if we are really amazed and awed by him, when we stood and we worshiped today and we said, somebody walked up to me during the middle of the worship and they said, Pastor, it's electric in here today. And I said, it is. Why is that? It's not because of instruments. It's because of God. Are we just as amazed when we come into the presence of God? Are we just as much as we say, John, I can't believe this. You know, who is this guy? Look what he's done. Are we just as awe-inspired as they were on that day? Because church understands something. He still is that same God, man, who walked among the people that, that, that Mark records about here. That's who we still encounter when we meet Jesus. And friends, I think you need to understand something today. We all do. Jesus, as we meet him, wants us to understand his authority. But maybe the way that he expresses his authority to us in the most understandable way is when he talks about the kingdom of God. And that's the fourth snapshot in the section.
You see, the reason you may have said, how come you, you, we talked about authority, and I didn't get to the word authority until about 10 verses. The reason that I started reading our text in verse 14 of chapter 1 is because Mark has a plan under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mark lays the foundation for his explanation or his revelation of the authority of Christ. He's going to take these snapshots and so reveal authority, reveal authority, reveal authority in healing and teaching and forgiving of sins. And, you know, and he's, going to re- he's going to give the snapshot. But before he begins to give the snapshots, he, be- he-, he-, re- he wants to lay the foundation. Wait a second. He wants to lay the foundation for his explanation of the authority of Christ. And so what's he do? He quotes one sentence from what Jesus had to say. Look at that in chapter 1. Verse, four, verse 15. In the very beginning, he's going to give these, this revelation of the authority. He says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's center, that's center phrase. The kingdom of God is at hand. Friends, Jesus wants us to understand his authority, and the way he expressed it to us, and maybe the most tangible way, is he says that he has the authority as the king of his kingdom. Throughout scripture, if you want to really understand what it is to be a Christian, you have to understand the kingdom. You have to understand that he's established a kingdom. And Jesus is the ultimate authority because he is the king of the kingdom. We know from scripture that he is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And that he is establishing his kingdom. And how did he have us pray? Establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that how he taught his disciples how to pray? You see friends, since the fall of man, since sin was introduced into our world... This world has been and is under the control of Satan. It is his kingdom. But Jesus has come to establish his kingdom and to push back or to overcome Satan's control in the lives of mankind. Friend, Jesus' authority is seen in his expanding kingdom. You want to understand the authority of Christ? Understand that he is the king of his kingdom and his authority is revealed in his expanding kingdom. You see, as citizens of the kingdom, and if we know Christ as Savior, we are citizens of the kingdom. As citizens of the kingdom, we establish and expand the kingdom of God wherever we are, if and when we live by kingdom principles under kingdom authority. You see, like the disciples who chose to leave their nets and follow Jesus, we listened to the direction of the king. That's what was revealed there. The king spoke and they listened. And so when we listen to the directions of the king, and we obey his calling, knowing that we are chosen by the king and sent by the king, then we are living under the authority of the king. You see, Jesus called Peter and Andrew, and they came, because he's king. Jesus called James and John... And they came, and they followed, and they left their nets because they were listening to the king. And friends, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, living under the authority of King Jesus, it is only because you have responded to his call to come into his kingdom. 
You need to get a hold of this today. Because it will change how you live. We have, we have messed up in evangelical Christianity. And we have made such a point of talking about accepting Christ as if we are the initiators of it. But we are not. What he wants us to understand is, he is the initiator, and we are the responders, and the reason that he is the initiator is he's the king. And when he calls us, we are his subjects. Now, listen to a TV preacher this morning, he went on and on and on and on about how we're kids of the king. And we are, but he made it seem as kids of the king, then you just do whatever you want, and sugar daddy's going to give you what you want. That's not the way it works. Turn in your Bibles, grab your Bibles, you need to understand this, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, the first chapter. 2 Peter, right after 1 Peter. <laughs> That's helpful, right? Way near the end, right before 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Almost to the end of your Bible, 2 Peter. I love when I've got to give people time to find a scripture. Because it means two things. Number one, you brought your Bible with you. Number two, you're learning how to find things. And for some, you've never been to 2 Peter before. 2 Peter. The first chapter. We're going to look at two verses. Something that you need to grasp this reality in your life. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 say this. It says, Therefore, brethren, who are brethren? People who are in the kingdom, right? People who have come to Christ. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And it's, the, these things are a list of things from verse, from verse uh, 5 on. He's listed character qualities that we should have. So therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom, or the kingdom of God, for this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Look what it says there. Be certain about His calling and choosing you. Do something. Say this about yourself. Point to your chest. Say, the king chose me to be in his kingdom. The king chose me to be in his kingdom. Be certain about his calling and choosing you. You are in God's kingdom on purpose. By the direct choice, the direct calling of King Jesus. It's not because one day you got up and said, I think I want to try Christianity. It's because of the direct choice and calling of King Jesus. He walked down the seashore of your life, like he did with James and John. He walked down the seashore of your life and called you from mending nets to catching people. He walked whatever that looks like in your life. No matter what you were doing and where you were at, at some point in your life he walked down through the, the path of your life and he called you. And he said, come, follow me. Be sure of this, friends. You did not choose him. He chose you by his authority as the king of the kingdom. He said, come into my kingdom. And he chose you. Now, friends, here's why I make such a big deal out of this today. Here's why this is important for every single one of us to really get our hands around today. It's this. As one chosen by the king, you are now to do what the king instructs you to do. It used to be a standard understanding in the church world. 
God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That was a standard thing you always heard in church. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No questions. We don't live in a world like that anymore. As a person who is chosen by the king, he chose four fishermen, and it says they left their nets and they followed him. They just followed. They obeyed. As people chosen by the king, we are now to do what the king instructs us to do. Right? Citizens, subjects, follow the instructions, the directions of their king. Now can I share with something with you that has caused me to scratch my head over the years and not seem to make a lot of sense out of it? I'm going to be incredibly transparent. I usually am, but I'm going to be really, really transparent today, okay? So hold on. Some of you are getting nervous. And I want to tell you, I'm not griping in what I say. I'm just observing. When it comes to making decisions, when it comes to just living life, people in the church generally seem to have two sets of standards. This is what I've observed. Two sets of standards. One set for what they call clergy, pastors, missionaries, full-time Christian workers. And one set for pretty much everybody else. You see, when a pastor or a missionary or full-time Christian worker is making a decision about life, you know, where or how to serve. And it's interesting, we say to pastors, where, where are you going to serve? But no one else ever says, where am I going to serve? They don't talk about, I go to whatever company I work at and I serve. But we say to pastors, where are you going to serve? And we expect they will serve. When a pastor or a missionary is making decisions about life, about how or where to serve or, or a place to live or how they should even spend their money, people openly say, and I know this because I've lived in these shoes for 20 years, they openly say, well, what's God's will? What's God saying to you? Well, Pastor Mark, can you really do that? What's God's will? What does what they're saying is, what does the king have to say to you? After all, you're, and they'll say, after all, you're called. You have a calling. And you know what? It makes sense for the citizens of the kingdom to seek God's direction within his kingdom, right? It makes sense when you know you're called to listen to the one who's called you, right? And so it's right to say to that person, what's God asked you to do? What's God's calling? But this is the part that makes me scratch my head. Because oftentimes in the same conversation, then the other standard comes out. And this standard seems to be for pretty much anybody else that says, I'm a child of God. It says, do whatever you want to do. It says, I'm going to do whatever makes me happiest. I'm going to do whatever makes me the most money. I'm going to do whatever gives me the most freedom. Because that's what I want to do. We say things like, well, I'll work till I'm 60. And I'll spend the rest of my days in the golf course. Or sitting in the sun. Or whatever else I choose to do. We hear it every day. And in that, con with that conversation, there seems to be very little recognition, and here's what we need to grasp today, that everyone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God is in the kingdom because God walked into their lives at some point and called them. We're all called. There seems to be a lack of realization. It's easy to see in the guy who puts Rev in front of his name. Where are you going to serve? 
But for some reason, that doesn't trans, transfer. Pastor Bruce, you're trying not to laugh probably right now, right? <laughs> because you've been there. And you scratched your head like me and you go, how come they don't get it? That as a citizen of the kingdom of God, God came into your lives at some point and he called you by name to come into the kingdom for the purpose of serving the king. For the purpose of coming under his authority. That's what it means to serve the king, right? He's the ultimate authority and we come under the authority of the king. Well, friends, I want to help you today. I want you to understand something today. There isn't two sets of standards. There's not one for some and one for others. One, oh, you're called, and then to say that as if you're not. It said, what did it say in, in 1 Peter? Be certain about his calling and choosing you. You see, friends, every child of God, every citizen of heaven is there by the choice and the calling of the king. And when we recognize his authority in our lives, we do what Peter and Andrew and James and John did that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We hear his voice and we follow the king's command. What we do, where we go, how we spend, where we don't go, all decisions to be made under the authority of King Jesus. Because we say of ourselves... What does the king want? After all, I'm called. After all, you're called. Now, I assumed at this point in my sermon, it would be quiet. I really assumed, I almost took the section out, but I said, I can't. I assumed it would be quiet. And I want to tell you something. If what I'm talking about discourages you, then I'm afraid that you don't really realize the life that God has called you to as someone called in the kingdom. I'm afraid we don't really understand it. I think you've been fit, fed a bill of goods that is focused on a whole bunch of other things and not the heart and soul of what God offers to those he calls into the kingdom. And I think we've been sold a bill of goods that challenges us to settle for so much less than God has. Because what he calls his kingdom subjects to is a life of victory and power and joy in the Holy Spirit. Living and ministering, and we're all called to minister, living and ministering under the loving authority of King Jesus. Get your Bible still? Flip back to the book of Mark. Chapter 16. In chapter 16 of the book of Mark, Jesus gives instructions to his followers, to citizens of the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' idea of what should be normal for every citizen in the kingdom of God. It's his instructions to regular people. It's not his instructions to those who have Rev in front of their name. It's his instructions to every single person who says, He is my King of kings and Lord of lords. Every single one of us, to regular people like you and me. Chapter 16, starting in verse 15. And he said to them, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, to those followers of his, those people in his kingdom. He says this to his followers, to every one of them. Go 
into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You say, oh, see, that's for preachers. No, it's not. Preaching the gospel is simply talking about sharing your testimony and your faith. That's what it's talking about. Telling the good news of Christ. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Does anybody work in a company where people in their company need to know the gospel? Anybody? Some of you don't. Anybody go to the grocery store where people need to know the gospel? Okay? Live in a neighborhood where people have to go to know the gospel. Have relatives where people need to know the gospel. Some of you have been at family reunions this summer. They need to know Jesus. He says to every person in that situation, everyone, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Who have believed, rather. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. What's Jesus' picture that he's painting of normal Christian experience in the kingdom? He says normal life in the kingdom is a life lived of power and miracles in his name. He says it this way, it's in his name. There's the key to the whole thing. In his name is a way of expressing that we can live and minister in his authority. That's what it means when you say in my name. In my name means you have the authority of my name. And he says you do this in his name. In other words, under the authority of his name. We don't just act by our own authority. We act under the authority of the king of kings. You see, friends, as citizens of his kingdom, we can operate by his authority. When we call on his name, his authority is expressed through us and it results in the miraculous. Everyday people. It's why Jesus chose fishermen and tax collectors. And I make the joke about it until you're sick of it. We know he chooses fishermen because he loves fishermen. Right? Somebody say amen. Everyday people is the point. Everyday people. Fishermen and tax collectors. Called by the king. But friends, here's the point. Now sent by the king to expand his kingdom wherever they go. In the grocery store. In the workplace. At the family reunion. And as they do this, as they expand it, as they tell the good news and they expand the gospel, he will, according to his authority, do the miraculous through us. That's the point he's trying to make. Mark 16, friends, is written for all of us. It's not written for pastors. It's written for all of his followers, members of the kingdom, to show us that we can live miraculous lives if we will follow the direction of the king. If we will all say, what does the king want from us? Where is the king asked you to serve? Not just what I want to do. And that's good for somebody who is rev in front of his name. You know what I found? He will let us just get by. He will let us live by our own abilities. He will let us live by our own limited human authority. And there's different levels of that in the world, usually based on abilities or, um, you know, kind of just natural giftings or families you're born into. 
He'll let us just live by that limited human authority. But friends, He has so much more for us if we will live kingdom lives out there. It's about doing it out there. Living kingdom lives and then letting Him do the impossible through us. I'm going to close today by using Jesus' words from Mark 16 as a commissioning to us. I want you to understand these are words from the heart of Jesus to your heart. These are not words we use in an ordination service for, pra- for pastors. These are words we use in an ordination service for members of the kingdom. And I think what God is trying to communicate today is I've done my best to try to figure it out and say it, but what His Word is communicating is that He wants us to take His kingdom everywhere, but it's by His authority. And He wants to understand that we don't go alone. We go in His name, by His authority. And as we do that, the miraculous happens. So Jesus' words to you from His heart. And He said to the people, of Portview Church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed from Portview Church. In my name, his name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And look what happened when they did that. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out, they went out, commissioned, and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. Friends, that's what life in the kingdom is all about. And if you've believed a bill of goods that says just live how what I want to do, not even not consider what's the king asking. He'll let you live a substandard life. But it'll be life that's empty and powerless. You'll get to retirement. You'll maybe buy your boat but you will sit there and you'll twiddle your thumbs and you'll say, isn't there more to life than this? Just stand with me this morning.